You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Good, everybody. Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome, one and all, to Abakabu Cafe, the English-language Kimagore Orange Road podcast. I am your host, Jason Almy. I'm thrilled that you chose to listen to this podcast today because we're going to be talking all about OVA number seven, entitled An Unexpected Situation. This episode was originally released January 18th of 1991. Wow, 1991. Seems like the wrong decade for Orange Road, but it is what it is. Today's episode was directed by Mori Takeshi. This is the one and only episode of any Orange Road media directed by Mori. Today's episode was written by Shizuya Isao. Shizuya has written... Episode 11, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. Uh, Shizuya also wrote OVA 3, I Was a Cat, I Was a Fish. Shizuya also wrote Episode 17, Episode 25, and TV Episode 41. We open up with a little bit of Orange Vice. It's nice to see them using some of the music from the TV show for a little sonic consistency we see a pink sky maybe sunset there seem to be some big puffy clouds and then akane appears wrapped in a towel she fades in it's not like she was teleporting into the scene as we sometimes see kasuga do mori is making it fairly obvious that we're witnessing a dream sequence she then declares her love for kasuga despite his protests she doesn't give one f- that they're first cousins. When she goes in for the kiss, that's when Kasuga wakes up. It's just a foreboding dream of incest, people. I don't I don't see a problem here. Let's move along. As we know, with Kasuga's foreboding dreams, they always come true, but never in the way that Kasuga interprets. We saw this just last episode with Kasuga's foreboding dream about Hayakawa outing him as an esper to the entire town. 
The subversion is important for the humor. The foreboding dream sets up an expectation, and then that expectation goes wrong in order to create humorous situations that are unexpected by either Kasuga and or the audience. Kasuga is surprised to see Akane in his bedroom when he awakens. I don't understand what it is with people entering Kasuga's bedroom unbeknownst to him while he's sleeping. I don't know if this is a cultural thing. Maybe this happens in Japan a lot, and I'm just not used to it because I've never resided there. Or maybe it's just Orange Road. Shikaru was in his room in the last episode when he woke up from his foreboding dream at the beginning of OVA 6. So it's like there's always somebody there. At this point in the series, everybody has done it to Kasuga. It's just a little weird. For anybody listening, please don't hang out in my room while I'm sleeping, okay? Make yourself a coffee, get comfortable in my living room or something like that. But maybe give me a call first. I don't know. They had telephones back then. Now, it's been some months since we've seen Akane. This episode occurs in early summer, according to Kasuga's voiceover. Likely June, school is clearly still in session. The Japanese don't take a summer break in June, of course. And Akane is seen wearing her school uniform at Abakabo in a flashback from the previous day. Akane here is referred to as a senior, high school presumably. How old is she? Is she Kasuga's age? I believe she's meant to be the same age as Kasuga, which would mean that Kasuga is also a senior in high school. But if this is taking place in 1988, Kasuga and Ayukua would have just been entering high school. They wouldn't be seniors at all. In this episode, Akane has a pair of pushy friends. They're actually given names in this episode, but I don't I still don't know. I've seen this thing, I don't know how many times I've seen this episode. I still don't know who who is who, which one is which. So I'm just going to call them the pushy friends. They're the friends, in in air quotes. The friends catch her ogling Ayukawa. Of course, they tease her about only liking women before relentlessly bitching about their own imaginary boyfriends. Akane is not at all unlike Kasuga, especially here in this episode. She gets flustered, and then she creates this situation for herself to have to navigate sets up the whole conflict for the entire episode. She lets her mouth write a check that her ass can't cash. She doesn't even really seem to care much for these two friends, yet she gets herself into trouble to try to impress them. There's a soft focus over the entire Abakabu scene, and it shows us that it's a flashback. So Kasuga, of course, has to pretend to be her boyfriend for the episode, not her first cousin. It's actually not the grossest relationship mashup of of this television show either. The first cousin thing is not the worst they've done. It's actually less gross than when he and Manami didn't recognize each other and almost made out. Kasuga agrees to Akane's request without too much convincing, actually. She doesn't really have to twist his arm because he's a people pleaser. This is more evidence that he can't say no to anything. He's getting himself into a lot of trouble to help Akane out, and he doesn't really owe her. She got herself into this mess, but he can't say no. He's a people pleaser. He can't let her down. She needs him after all. So this episode deals pretty heavily with sexuality and gender roles. What does it mean to be masculine or feminine? For example, Kasuga makes a snide comment that Akane doesn't have a real boyfriend because she is as savage as a man. But in voiceover, Kasuga remarks that Akane's act seems feminine too. 
She's vulnerable. Casago recognizes that. She's vulnerable to the social pressures of these so-called friends of hers. And in that context, Akane seems very girlish or feminine to Kasuga, even as she pummels him as effectively as any man could. Yusaku should take notes here. Kasuga continues to see Akane's femininity as he observes her behavior throughout the episode. She's no less a woman, regardless of her sexuality. I think it's pretty clear that she's into Ayukawa. She's not really into dudes. Akane intimidates Komatsu and Hata as well, which is made clear at the end of the episode. They start to holla until they realize it's her. And then they treat her with all the respect due a masculine peer. I mean, it's really the only other person that they treat with such a uh, deference is Ayukawa. This episode also deals heavily in the social pressures to conform. It makes me wonder if this is an accurate picture of Japanese culture in the late 1980s or early 90s. At points in this episode, characters, including Akane, express that being a proper girl means having a boyfriend, at least to the two friends that she's trying to impress. Akane takes on a boyfriend to legitimize her gender, to be a proper female. Thus, we can conclude that Akane identifies as female, but because she's a lesbian, that is used to demean and belittle her. And so Akane and Kasuga as well go to great lengths in seeking the approval of Akane's friends. They can kind of be seen as a stand-in, a metaphor for culture at large, that the social pressures that compel gay people to remain closeted. Now, the so-called friends correctly hypothesize that Kasuga could just be Akane's cousin. But how far can you go to prove that you're a couple? And that's also part of today's conflict as well. How far do you need to go? How much do you let the people around you witness to prove to them that you are what you say you are? By the end of the episode, Kasuga finally gets to say the obvious. Who the f*** cares what you two think? And those two were even fooling each other. They didn't have boyfriends either. When they first meet, Kasuga is savaged by the two friends of Akane. It's sort of similar to the uh, first stage of love episode. It sort of reinforces Kasuga's averageness. He's not supposed to be super handsome, but I don't think he's supposed to be ugly either, even though Hayakawa in OVA 5, the first stage of love episode, does call Kasuga ugly, says his face is ugly. I don't think Kasuga is supposed to be ugly, but he's supposed to be kind of average, at least in looks. And it also provides comedy. They're talking about him so critically as he stands there and he has to kind of absorb it. The plot thickens a little bit when Shikaru learns that she missed Kasuga. She went over to deliver some concert tickets and invite him out that evening, but she learns that he's out with Akane. So naturally, She's going to try to find them. That adds a wrinkle to the plot of the episode. Shikaru often functions to thicken the plot in this way. She's like a slurry, for those of you who enjoy cooking. She's like a cornstarch slurry that can be added to a sauce to thicken it. She's the Orange Road slurry, which actually makes it sound kind of bad. But but it's not bad. She's the Orange Road slurry. There is a, a visual indication here that Kurumi is also kind of savage, unkempt, maybe a little um, not girlish herself. There's a watermelon seed animated as, as on her face. They drew a watermelon seed on her cheek. 
it's so it shows this kind of whimsical, maybe childish side of her. She's not really concerned with looking proper. It's an artistic decision that also helps to distinguish her and Manami's uh, characterizations. Manami, of course, would never be meeting with guests with food stuck to her face. Kurumi doesn't give a shit. We get an original song today. It's Aoi Boyfriend or Blue Boyfriend. I don't think this is played anywhere else across the TV series or OVA. I think this is unique to this episode and distinct to this episode. It's not a bad track. It's a good, like, summertime jam, upbeat. It's played when Kasuga takes Akane and her friends to the pool. And it's a good background track for that uh, for that scene. Akane's friends, of course, are living vicariously through Akane. They don't have boyfriends. They're lying about having boyfriends. And... Uh, they get to experience having a boyfriend and going out on a date vis-a-vis Akane's ruse and Casca taking them out and treating them to a day. Uh, they're also propagating this social pressure uh, to which they don't even conform. They don't even have boyfriends, but they're pushing Akane to, to do this. And Casca bankrolls all their fun, of course, because he's posing as, as boyfriend. They still doubt him. And it's like they know that if they continue to doubt him, they can continue to milk the situation. He'll keep paying for their things and and the date will continue. They pressure Akane and Kasuga into doing all of the things that they want to do, but but they can't because they're actually single. So they're living vicariously through Kasuga and Akane. They force them to share this uh, beverage that's fruity, you know, probably virgin cocktail or something like that with two straws, kind of cutesy thing. Uh, but but they force them to share this as like a symbol. You can't possibly drink this thing together if you're not dating. And then as soon as they finish it, they conclude that they could have easily drank that if they were just first cousins, which is, of course, the truth. The The comment, was it good, the shared drink, reveals that these girls really are not as experienced as they let on. They don't have the boyfriends. They don't go out on the dates that they pretend to because they ask, was it good? Did you enjoy it? You know, obviously living vicariously through Akane at that moment. And it reminds me of the old Monty Python sketch. What's it like? You're a man of the world, aren't you? I mean, you, you know, you've, uh, you've uh, been around. You've been there. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, you've, uh, you know, you've, uh, you've done it. Uh... With a lady. You've slept with a lady. Yes. What's it like? They're too curious about the experience. They're they're starting to make it obvious that they, they don't have the experience with boys that they claim to. But again, like I said, they must continue to refuse to believe Akane because that would mean an end to the charade that they're putting on. The friends also seem to intuit that they can compel Akane and Kasuga into anything they want just by... A, accusing them of faking the relationship. It's here that Shikaru becomes an impediment to Akane's plan. It's another layer to Akane and Kasuga's deceit because now they have to lie about Shikaru just being um, a, a junior of Kasuga's at school. It's just his underclassman and he mentors her or something. Akane leaps up from the 
table, stammering some flimsy excuse that she forgot something important. And in that moment, she's actually as clumsy and oafish as Kasuga has ever been. So it must run in the family. And Akane takes this one upon herself and basically torpedoes Kasuga's entire relationship with Shikaru. It's a really fine way to repay Kasuga for doing her a favor that day. This scene may have been included to position Akane as ruthless, gruff, bold. These manly traits, they're often associated with being manly as a possible confirmation of Kasuga's earlier comments about her being kind of savage. As she becomes Kasuga, we see again, as per usual, a purple filter applied to the imagery. It's consistent with the Hurricane Akane OVA. Again, it's Highly unlikely that this is a diegetic haze that exists within the world of the narrative. I talked about it back when I talked about the Hurricane Akane OVA. Characters would not be seeing this purple filter or purple haze. They would be wondering what the hell it was, where it came from. Bystanders across the street would notice a purple cloud hovering around Akane. It would be impossible to conceal her ESP. And in fact... We, we see that, we get confirmation of that conjecture, because when we cut back to the friends watching from inside, we're shown what Akane's transformation power would look like to a third-party observer. They just see Akane standing outside talking to Shikaru. They don't see a purple haze. They don't even see Akane appearing to be Kasuga. They don't see the disguise. It only works on Shikaru, which makes it seem like it's a kind of a hypnosis almost because Akane usually has to make eye contact with the person and get inside their head and force them to see her as this disguise. So I think it works kind of like in their brain and not objectively to all around her, like Mystique from the X-Men who can change her appearance to be other people or whatever. She appears that way to everybody, a third-party observer. Anybody across the street would see Mystique as whomever she is disguised as at that time. But with Akane, it really only works on a one-on-one basis. So Akane absolutely crushes this poor girl. We see this non-diegetic imagery of lightning striking behind Shikaru to visually communicate how earth-shattering this moment is for her. Akane is willing to destroy Kasuga's long-term relationships just to impress these two twits she calls friends. That's mind-blowing. Keep in mind, this is after Shikaru became her bestie in the Hurricane Akane episode by saving her from some punks on the train at the beginning of that episode. Akane went to all this great effort in that episode to push Kasuga and Shikaru together. And today, Akane is disguising herself as Kasuga and telling Shikaru that she never wants to see her again, all to maintain some ruse that conforms with a social paradigm that she doesn't identify with in the first place. Teenagers do the craziest shit, am I right? Now, she does express a little bit of remorse for hurting Shikaru when we hear her voiceover, but too little too late in my opinion. You'd think Akane could have been a little gentler with her approach, something like, I promised to help Akane out today with a family thing, I'm so sorry I can't hang out, would probably have worked. Why go straight to the nuclear option? The only approach that would have been more harsh is for Akane to have shot Shikaru and thrown her in the trunk of an old Lincoln Town car. And given that the day is relatively young, it's not something that I'm going to put past Akane at this point. 
Everyone's favorite waifu, Ayukawa, doesn't have much of a role until the back half of this episode, which is unusual for Orange Road. It is kind of the Ayukawa show. She has only the briefest appearance in Akane's flashback at the beginning of the episode, and she doesn't really take an active role in the narrative until about 15 minutes into a 25-minute episode. Shikaru naturally seeks Ayukua for emotional support after her very recent trauma at Akane's hands. Apparently, Akane didn't think that move through very well, because if she had, she would have realized that, of course, Shikaru is going to find her best friend immediately upon being viciously dumped. And that means Ayuko was going to get involved. So Akane kind of created a Streisand effect here. She wanted to shake off Shikaru and avoid scrutiny on her fake relationship with Kasuga, just get through the day with Kasuga posing as her boyfriend. But she wound up getting her beloved Madoka involved. An establishing shot shows us Akane's house that evening. It actually seems really, really nice. It's not an apartment next to Kasuga's like Kazuya's parents, Although in the manga, Akane is Kazuya's older sister. Possibly here she's not siblings with Kazuya. She might be another cousin. Or possibly their parents have moved. Although it's not likely because we're going to see Kazuya a bunch in episode 47 and 48. Also, Kazuya's absence at Akane's house at the end of this episode is a little too convenient. If they're really siblings, wouldn't you think Kazuya would be around, reading people's minds, bumping into Kasuga, changing bodies so he could make out with his own sister? I don't know. Kazuya would be doing some weird shit if he was around. So clearly, they can't write him into the episode. So I think we, we've just got to conclude that there's no way for us to know for certain that Akane and Kazuya are siblings, at least in the, the world of the anime, and we've got to make peace with the idea of Kasuga's family being a little bit larger and maybe encompassing a few different aunts and uncles. It's at this point that it becomes clear that Akane seems to have resigned herself to at least some degree of sexual contact with Kasuga. She's got to get drunk to go through with it. She's not into guys after all. She's pounding back the whiskey for a little liquid courage. And it could be because he's her cousin and that's disgusting or because he's a male and that's also gross to her. Por que no los dos? It could be both. Everybody here is pretty hammered except Casca, who seems to have finally learned how to moderate his drinking. The friends are sloshed. They both claim to have a date with their own boyfriends shortly, just later that evening, but neither one of them seemed capable of walking out of that house. Finally, Akane's friends balk at the idea of sex. It's a true indication of their own inexperience. Kane finally just says, all right, Casca, let's go to bed. Nothing else would prove to the friends that they were a true couple that day. So let's just go do it. Maybe if we have sex, they'll believe that we're a couple. Akane is really backed into a corner as thoroughly as Kasuga has ever been in any other episode. And the friends are so drunk, they can't even talk at the point when Manami, Kurumi, and Ayukawa arrive. And it's this rare instance that Kasuga gets to finally sit on his high horse and get preachy on others. Everyone seems surprised that Kasuga is wearing all of his clothes and that Akane is laying in bed under the covers, passed out. Kasuga gets to deliver the moral that maintaining a relationship just to conform with social expectations is meaningless and that what's more important is the feelings that you share with the people you love. A partner isn't a status symbol like a designer bag 
a boyfriend to be paraded around just to impress people that you don't really give a shit about. And the friends end up walking home feeling a little ashamed as a result. They accidentally reveal to each other that they don't even have dates that evening. They weren't even being honest with each other. One of them mentions writing a fan letter to a contemporary band called Tama, which is a little problematic because while they did form in the mid-80s, and they even had some smaller independent releases during that time, they they didn't really break big until 1990. So it's certainly plausible that the friend is writing a fan letter to an underground band signed to an indie label, but it's much more likely that she's writing them a fan letter in the wake of their tremendous hit, Sayonara Jinrui, or Goodbye Humanity. Again, that means placing the events of this episode in 1988 is a little bit tougher with that, with that little detail. And it's a bit odd that Ayukawa seems to be impressed that Kasuga didn't bone his own cousin. She's mostly just joshing him, though, about the incest thing. Despite promising Shikaru that she would talk to Kasuga on Shikaru's behalf, Ayuko really just teases him in kind of a flirty way. She just flirts with him at the end of the episode. And this is a rare episode in which Ayukawa doesn't have a whole lot to do. She kind of shows up in order to act surprised and shocked that Kazuga's doing sexy things with his cousin. And she's not even really integral to the plot, except for our reveal of a poster of Ayukawa hanging above Akane's bed, which of course intimidated Kasuga. It was like she was watching him. He couldn't possibly lay a finger on Akane after that. And what follows is an all's well that ends well kind of a wrap-up. Akane and her friends are all finally honest with each other about their relationship statuses. They're dressed for school, so this is clearly taking place after the events of Hurricane Akane, which took place on the first day of summer vacation, you might note. Hurricane Akane also depicted Akane's first meeting with Ayukua and Shikaru. So this episode today could not have possibly occurred prior to Hurricane Akane as evidenced by the gigantic poster of Ayukua hanging above Akane's bed. Therefore, the earliest this episode could have taken place would be early September 1987. That's about when summer vacation would have ended and school would be back in session. Today's episode clearly was a hot summer day as we see establishing shots of the hot sun in a clear blue sky with the sound of cicadas. The the film language is clearly cueing us into this being summertime, not to mention Costco's voiceover stating it was early summer. So it's plausible that the heat and the pool could be early September, uh, definitely depending on the climate to Japan, it's possible. But in his closing voiceover, Kasuga states that Akane and her friends seem to have their summer ahead of them. Again, there's a lot of narrative evidence for this taking place in late May, maybe early June as summer's kicking off. So ultimately, that's why I placed it here. Well after the events of Hurricane Akane, which would have occurred during the summer vacation, but before episodes 47 and 48, before we wrap up the series. Finally, Shikaru resolves to forgive Kasuga if he shares an orange soda with her, with two straws. Shikaru's pressures on Kasuga here intentionally mirror 
those of Akane's friends from earlier. It's a bookend. Pretty classic cinematic technique, but it might also be meant as a display of Shikaru's relative naivety and inexperience. She's relying on this outward display of relationship status in order to forgive Kasuga. It's a contrast with Kasuga's climactic lecture about what's important, the feelings that you feel being important, not the outward symbols. Shikaru isn't digging into what Kasuga said and how it might indicate his feelings. Shikaru is just seeking a public gesture to reaffirm their relationship status. She wasn't present to hear Kasuga's lecture, after all. For Kasuga, it seems kind of like a different day, same shit kind of outcome. He went from having to share a beverage with Akane in order to preserve that ruse, and then the next day having to do the same with Shikaru to keep the peace there and not upset Ayukua by breaking Shikaru's heart. Again, it's relationship status as display. Kasuga and Shikaru symbolize that display of relationship status without there being deep feelings for Kasuga there. But with the Kasuga and Ayukawa pairing, we see feelings beneath the surface that the world's not aware of, but Kasuga and Ayukawa feel them. It's really kind of a progressive statement that Kasuga makes as well. He rejects the idea of uh, social pressures to conform to particular relationship standards. And instead, he says what's important is how the two of you feel about each other. If the feelings are there, they're there, according to Kasuga. It's open. It's accepting. Today's episode was kind of interesting viewed under that lens. It's really kind of a progressive message for the place and time, maybe. I think it makes for a pretty good ending for a, a side character like Akane. She only appeared twice, but still a fan favorite, a very popular character. And it was a good way to put a button on her. We won't see her again in the anime. And if you want to feel me, I would recommend please heading on over to patreon.com slash where you can become a patron of Team Almy Studios, which produces the fine podcasts in the Avocado Cafe series. On top of that, I'll send you some swag. I do that for everybody who joins. I love you guys. I'll send you some swag. You'll get access to a whole host of uh, bonus content with more bonus content coming all the time. Uh, Patreon is going to be introducing a new streaming platform. I won't have to go through YouTube as the streaming provider anymore, which means I'll be able to stream content that maybe YouTube wouldn't allow me to. So what that means is as soon as Patreon releases that feature and I'm able to stream live stream video directly through Patreon, I'll begin to do the episode commentaries because I'll be able to broadcast the episode in a window, a picture in a picture window, and I'll be able to have the episode going as I'm also doing the commentary. So I was waiting for that uh, technological piece to be in place before going with that special feature. But that's one of the bonus features that you'll find on our, on our Patreon in addition to free swag that, um, that I try to make a lot of fun for people. So check us out. Also check out Creatures of the Night. It's another podcast, tons of fun. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. I want to say thank you again for listening to today's episode. And because I mentioned the band Tama, which, of course, uh, 
drew a big hit in 1990 with uh, Goodbye Humanity. I'm going to go ahead and play that for you. Why the hell not? It's a kooky song. It's a crazy song, but I think you guys are going to enjoy it.
づいたんだよ猿になるよ猿